the fire of God comes as an answer to prayer, get ready to see a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Join Gloria Copeland and her special guest, Billy Brim, for more on prayer next on The Believer's Voice of Victory. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Believer's Voice of Victory. Billy Brim's with us today, and she's going to be talking about the fire of God. Mm -hmm. Ooh. The fire of God. That's the fire that was on here. the altar. You know, uh, yesterday we were reading on this book, Fire on the Altar and Those yeah. Who Carried the Plane. From the Old Testament, there's a type of uh, prayer uh, on the altar, the altar of God. And uh, we'll just start with this Old Testament scripture, Second Chronicles 7 and verse 1. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Praise and God. the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, yes, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices Praise before the God. Lord. And so we see this, um, the fire, the Shekinah glory, the prayer, when Solomon had made an end of praying. And we see all of that. God never changes. We see that in the temple, but we also saw it at Azusa Street. That's right. And most of you have heard of the Azusa Street revival. Um, I was just thinking before I came on here, uh, the Lord told me one time to go to as close to Azusa Street as we could get and have a prayer meeting and bring out the old time prayers, mm -hmm. Brother and Sister Halverson, yep. John G. Lake's daughter. And I was standing where Azusa Street was and they were actually taking it away. They were taking away the curbs. And there was a sign there where this exactly happened. And there was a sign there kind of leaned over and it said Azusa Street. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, A to Z, USA, Alpha to Omega, USA, from beginning to ending, USA, from this street that goes nowhere, it was a little pie-shaped street, through a people the world thought little of, mm -hmm. I took this Pentecostal message around oh, the world. My Jesus, that's And he true. did it. Yeah. But like every other uh, move of God, it didn't come in without prayer. Now, we're going to read a little bit about uh, some things that happened there. This is a great book uh, by Tommy Welchel. I met Tommy, know him very well. And he, uh, he, was a, he was a rebellious guy, a kid in Oklahoma, actually running from the law. He went out to California. And two little ladies dressed in little flowery dresses with buns on their hair, they saw him on the streets and they were kind and loving to him and invited him to come home and they give him a meal. So he went home with them and he came to a place called Pisgah. P-I-S-G-A-H. And it was a ministry, had, a, had a, a church and a ministry to street people, but it also had little houses and little places where people lived that had been on Azusa Street. And they, were, they had been children at the time of Azusa Street. And when Tommy Welchel met them, uh, they were older. You know, they were up in years. And so Tommy changed, of course, under their ministry. And he became very enamored with the stories of Azusa Street and all what happened there. And so he would go to their houses and he wrote in, the title of the book is, They Told Me Their Stories. 
the youth and children of Azusa Street. Now, one of the things that happened on Azusa Street was uh, the Shekinah glory was there. It would appear like a, a mist and sometimes like flames of fire mm. up on the rooftops. Wow. So I'm going to read you uh, a couple of those uh, happenings. Good. And he would go to their houses and he would sit there at, at their feet and they'd give him milk and cookies and they'd tell him their stories. And they, they decided that he was the one that God had ordained to write their stories. And so he has, it's a wonderful, wonderful read. And so here he goes to uh, Sister Carney. Now we're going to read more about her. But Sister Carney, she's now up in years, but she was just a young girl when Azusa started. We'll read more about her later. But he goes to her and he says, of course, any discussion about Azusa turned to the Shekinah glory. When I ask about her experience with the presence of God's spirit, Sister Carney's face would light up. She described it as being a part of heaven. To her, it was like breathing pure oxygen. And to her wonderment, it was always present. Always present as Azusa Praise Street. God. When I asked her to describe the Shekinah the glory, glory was always, always present, like a cloud. Wow. When I asked her to describe the Shekinah glory, fire, and sometimes like a fire it came, yeah. she told this story. She recalled that the fire department came out because of a call that the building was on fire. When they arrived, they didn't smell any smoke or see any evidence of fire. She didn't go outside to talk to the firemen, but she remembered that Brother Seymour, Brother Bosworth, mm -hmm. you remember Bosworth yes. who wrote Christ the Healer, John G. Lake, you remember him, and Smith and Sines, they ran out and talked to the firemen. But Sister Carney did go out one time and saw the flames for herself. The, the fire department had, was called on several different occasions as passersby would report seeing flames leaping up from the roof of the building. Finally, Sister Carney asked John G. Lake why the fire department kept coming back and looking for a fire. He explained what he saw was that fire was coming down from heaven into the building and fire was going up from the building and meeting the fire that was coming oh, down. from two, two directions. Yeah, two directions. Oh, I don't remember ever hearing that. Fascinated, Sister Carney went out, walked about half a block and saw the awesome sight for herself. Wow. To her, this divine connection of fire coming down from heaven and going up to heaven was just further evidence of God's mighty presence in that place. That's and, big. And remember, they prayed. Remember Seymour and how he prayed and how he had the box he put on his head. Sister Carney noted that although the Shekinah glory was present all the time within the building, when, but this divine connection, when they could see the fire from heaven coming down, the fire from going up, it wasn't an everyday occurrence. And whenever this connection was present, the power of God was more intense than even in the other meetings. There's, this is full of amazing things, but I chose to read some accounts of that the fire. That is so exciting. Uh, because of the fire. We've been talking about man and, and woman, Isha and Isha, and how their very essence is fire. And with God in them, what a great fire we kindle. And so there was this brother, uh, David Garcia. He's another one that he sits at his feet and, and asks him his, floor, uh, his stories. And so he asked Brother David, did you ever see the flame? He told me that there were times when he was coming to the meeting late and he would see the flames as far away as Grand Central Station. 
Brother God's Garcia would think, whoo, God's moving again. And he would run to Azusa because he knew that when the fire was falling, there was more power at the meeting and he wanted to be a part of it. He explained that the experience was greater than breathing pure oxygen. There were times the Shekinah glory was only a foot high and he would lie down in it to breathe God's glory. Yeah. Others a did that as well. It would be about a foot high off the floor and they'd lie down in it. One of them is a, a little girl. She was a little girl at the time. She would play, run around and play in that. Mm -mm. He often stressed that the greater the Shekinah glory, the greater the power. He would note that the flames were there when God, through Seymour, remember Brother Seymour, yeah. the one-eyed black man, performed the miracle where a leg regrew and another right. where the arm regrew. Now, these, these absolutely grew from having been cut off. And it would happen on those days when they could see the fire going up and the fire coming down. Garcia was there when the arm grew out. He said, Brother Tommy, he didn't have a ball joint in his shoulder. It had been ripped out of there. I was close enough to be looking right at the shoulder, and all of a sudden I saw the bones start to come out, and then flesh started coming out around them. His arm just shot out in what seemed mere seconds as I watched. For Garcia, it seemed like he was watching in slow motion as he was awed at what God was doing. Brother Garcia was the first to tell me of Seymour's prophecy that in about 100 years, there would be a return of the Shekinah glory and a revival mm. that would surpass the works of How God. How long has it been? At Azusa. That was 1906 that it began, and it lasted three and a half years. Uh, so you might even say 1910. So 100 years would be 2010. And now we're at 2017. We're overdue. We're overdue, Billy. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go back and read you and talk That's to you so about what brought that Azusa Street Revival. Oh, good. You remember that uh, there had been the Dark Ages, and many of the truths of the Bible had been locked up, and God had to restore what the canker worm had eaten. Yeah. And we talked about Sister Woodworth Edder and how he restored divine healing to the church. And through the Azusa Street Revival, he restored the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in speaking with other tongues. And it started with Brother Parham, Charles Parham, mm -hmm. in Topeka, Kansas. He had a Bible school with a question. The Lord showed him a big mansion that was overgrown, grass growing all around it. But he had, it had turrets that they used later for prayer towers. And the Lord showed him, that place is, I'm going to give you for a Bible school. And so God supernaturally got it into his hands, and 40 students appeared kind of almost mm -hmm. supernaturally. And one of them was a little Quaker missionary uh, lady, and she came in town on a train. She said, the Lord showed me there's going to be a, a Bible school Praise in God. this town where I can find out what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is. So it came New Year's, going from 1900 to 1901. And Parham went off on a speaking engagement, and he left the students with this question. All of you, it was a huge mansion. All of you go to separate rooms and pray. And see if you can find out what the Bible means when it talks about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so they all did that. They didn't know, did they? They didn't know, but they knew the Bible speaked of it, spoke of it. So they went and studied, and they all came up with the same conclusion. The evidence, the Bible evidence was speaking in tongues. And so one minute past midnight, they had a watch night service. Parham wasn't there, but the students were. And, oh, I forgot what her name is. I used to know her name. Um, 
she prayed. She prayed to receive tongues. And she received one minute past mid midnight. And she spoke in tongues for days. Charles Parham's granddaughter told me that she even wrote in tongues. And they called in a linguist. How did you do that? Yeah, when, when Charles, well, here's how she did it. In, in an unknown tongue. When Charles Parham came back, he called in a linguist, and what she was writing was Mandarin Chinese. Wow. And she was speaking Mandarin Chinese. Wow. And then they all got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And Doesn't that Parham, make you feel like Ned, yes. the first reader? Yes, it does. <laughs> and, brother, and Brother Parham got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then that room couldn't hold them. They went out preaching it. They went out to Galena, Kansas, and Baxter Springs, Kansas, and all around there. And then they headed south. And when they came through uh, Oklahoma, my great-grandparents got in on it. But they headed down to Praise Houston. God. And they went to Houston. And they were preaching the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And there was a black man there. Uh, and he asked if he could come in. You know, they had segregation back in those days. And, of course, Parham said yes. And uh, his name was Seymour. Seymour. Mm -hmm. Yep, Brother Seymour, one-eyed. He was blind. And he believed that message. And so then he went out to California. And he preached for this lady preacher in the morning that the baptism with the Holy Spirit evidence was speaking in tongues. When he got back that night, she had boarded up the place and told him, we're closing him down in. this meeting. Oh, no. So then he, uh, there was a group there of people from her church, and they said, come over to our house. This was April 6, 1906. And they had a house on Bonnie Bray Street. Yeah, I've heard of that. And they started praying and preaching and praying. And... Uh, on the ninth, the fire of God took them over. Those same flames, that same spirit of prayer took them over. And it grew and grew, and the porch filled up, and the yard filled up. And uh, actually, the porch collapsed with the people on it. And, and that was in 1906. 1906, April the 9th. So then this is a few days um, after that. And I'm going to start reading to you from, this is, he heard this from Sister Carney again, and she was 17 when this happened. The police officers were polite yet firm, and they said to Brother Seymour, either shut this down or rent a place like a regular church or auditorium. You've gotten too big to meet at this home. And the porch was falling from one thing. So this revival meeting began as a small gathering led by William Seymour in a home on Bonnie Bray Street. It now flowed out to the front yard, the neighbor's yards, and onto the street as Brother Seymour preached from the porch of this small home in the Los Angeles area. Seymour had been warned several times before and realized he needed a much larger gathering place. The power of God was evident as the crowd grew larger and larger every day. He was, he was looking for a place to meet, and he found an abandoned warehouse that at one time had been used as a, a Methodist church. It had also been used as a stable, and animals had been in there. It was perfect, but the only thing that keeping him from renting it was money. He had no money. money. So he prayed to God what to do. That night, the need to move was heavy on Seymour's heart. He prayed to God for direction, and before the evening was over, he received his answer. God instructed him to get on a trolley car as soon as the surface ended and go to Pasadena. True to God's leadership, Seymour didn't argue, but rather headed for Pasadena, where it was illegal at that time for blacks to be after dark. So it was late. He rode the trolley until God instructed him to get off, and then he followed as God directed him to an apartment nearby. 
Sister Carney was just a teenager, 17, but she was married. And she had arrived in Pasadena earlier that day. She was to meet with several of her friends who had been members of the First Baptist Church until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Somehow that didn't fit uh, there. And so they had come together to pray for revival. They were in this apartment Praise and they were God. praying for a revival. As God would have it. Now she had come under the influence of some people uh, back in Kansas. And so they had received. And they were there praying in this apartment and they're praying for a move of God and they're praying for a revival. Just after 10 o'clock, God brought together two elements of a force that when joined together would usher in one of the greatest manifestations of God ever experienced by man since the birth of Christ, the Azusa Street Revival. Seymour walked up to the apartment that God led him to and knocked on the door. Sister Carney remembers the time to have been about 10.30 p.m. The ladies went to the door together and when they opened the door, they found a black man blind in one eye standing before them. For many people in that day, that, that might have frightened them. Yeah. But God was in charge. And the owner of the apartment said, can I help you? The answer to this simple and somewhat fretful question would startle and astonish those gathered for prayer. They had been praying for months in fervent prayer. And God responded in this unusual manner. Seymour replied when they asked, can I help you? You're praying for revival, right? When the ladies responded with a unanimous yes, Seymour made a bold statement. I'm the man God has sent to preach that revival. Praise God. Without hesitation, the ladies invited Seymour in. After some exciting chatter, he preached to them and took up an offering that was more than enough to rent the Azusa Street warehouse. Wow. Is that something? And so they ladies, these ladies, they became a part of that Azusa Street meeting and they went down to help clean it out. And Sister Carney said she was glad that she got to clean up after the small droppings of the goats rather than cleaning up after the droppings of the horses and the cattle. <laughs> And you know, he, uh, he pointed out there were lots of uh, beautiful cathedrals in that city. Hmm. But just like Jesus was born in a stable, that Azusa Street revival came in a stable, former stable, you might say. But it came in answer to prayer, extreme prayer. They were praying when that baptism with the Holy Spirit came in 1901. They were praying. They were praying when um, this move of God uh, came there. And so uh, we're, we're, I'm reminded of Elijah yeah. and the fire. The fire of God is always there. Yep. It goes up as the prayers. The people pray. They got their fire on the altar. There's incenses going up to God and he's sending down fire from heaven. And you remember the story of Elijah that's told in 1 Kings 18, um, verse 30, it starts. And he had challenged the prophets of Baal, you remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah, fire came down. Whose God is God? Who's bringing this rain? And the fire came down. He had built, he restored the altar. It says he restored the Lord's altar. And he took stones. The altar had fallen down. He took the stones and he built an altar to the Lord. And then he said, he prayed to God, show yourself strong. 
-hmm. And he had the, he put the, I put the offering there. He put the bullock up on the altar. He had him dig a, a, a moat and he put water in that moat, probably from the nearby sea. Yeah. And the fire answered his prayer and came down from heaven and licked up the water in the moat and licked up the fire. And he is given in the New Testament in James chapter 5, 16 through 18, he is given as an example of prayer. And it says, the effectual fervent prayer yeah. of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the face of the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Praise God. So this is given as an example of how to pray for the rain, how to pray for the fire like Elijah did. And it follows a verse right there in, in the fifth chapter of James, which says, be patient therefore, my brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. The husbandman and the farmer is God. The earth is the field. And it says, be patient for the coming of the Lord. The husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and he has long patience for it until the earth receives the early and latter rain. Be you also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Praise so God, God is waiting for this outpouring of the former and latter yes, rain together. Right. The former rain was on Acts chapter two. The latter rain was Azusa Street. But he says just before the coming of the Lord, the former and latter rain is going to come together and it's going to ripen that crop, that great harvest. And then he gives us Elijah as an example of praying. You should read that passage in Elijah, how he put his head between, he had prophesied the rain was coming, but he put his head between his knees and he prayed. He sent his, he sent his servant. Is there any, see any sign? No, no sign of rain. Seven times he sent his servant. And finally the, the servant said, I see a cloud the size of a man's yeah, hand. Yeah. He said, King Ahab, you better get out of here. The mm. rains are coming. The rains, the fires are coming, but they're going to come in answer to the prayers of the saints. The fire that goes on the altar of prayer will draw down the fire from heaven, draw down the rains, and we'll know those great final moves of God, but we have to be people impassioned to pray. Let me, let me share this before we go. This is James 5. This is what, what's necessary for that to happen in the body. Of Christ. So you must also, so you also must be patient. Establish your hearts, strengthen and confirm them uh -huh. in the final, in final certainty for the coming of the Lord is very near. Here it is, Billy. Do not complain, brethren. This is amplified. This is oh, verse that's nine. good. Do not amplified. complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Look, the judge is already standing at the very door. So we're, we're going to have to walk in love. We have to walk in to love. To open the door for it and watch the tongue and don't complain against one another. That's just it. If you want the manifestation of the power of God, we're going to have to walk in love. We're going to have to walk in love and prayer. And that's what happened with the Moravians. They had to be bonded into that place of love and then mm -hmm. they began to pray yeah. and fire fell. Praise God. If you want it, we can have it. We but have to, we do have what to they walk do. in love. Billy and I'll be right back.
We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And remember, Jesus is Lord.